0: Welcome. You are listening to the Conservation Stories podcast, connecting listeners
1: to nature through inspirational personal narratives from diverse voices in conservation. This is Robert Rose, and I am a conservation geographer and the executive director of the Institute for Integrative Conservation at William & Mary. And this is John Swaddle. We are coming to you today from the campus of William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. This season consists of stories, insights, and ideas from three engaging women working in conservation. We hope that sharing their stories helps to raise awareness of the need for gender equity and to promote actions that break down barriers to ensure that women are represented and involved in decision-making in all levels of conservation.
0: And this is Ann Turner, your host for Trailblazing Women in Conservation and I am a 2022 William & Mary graduate. For this episode, I spoke with Nicole Esters, the current Senior Director of Development at Conservation International. She's been with Conservation International for the past 15 years, working on various projects, such as the Coral Triangle Initiative, Marine Strategy and Fundraising, and Program Management. Nicole has a passion for the ocean and geopolitics, And she has a background in international relations, governance, and policy. She received her bachelor's degree in environmental studies and politics from Washington and Lee University. And she obtained her master's degree in geopolitics from King's College of London. I am so glad that she could join me today. All right, so we'll jump in with the first question today. So what motivated you to work in conservation?
1: So when I was little and I was in kindergarten, um, I'm from Maryland and there's like, there's a basic, you know, field trip schedule and you always go to National Zoo. And that was the first time I saw pandas and animals. And I just thought, this is amazing. And then I went to, for good or bad, I went to SeaWorld when I was about seven or eight. Um, and I fell in love with the whales. And so for me, they were just nature and the animals were just pretty. And so I wanted to protect the whales (laughs) which sounds really bad but i'm using the words that i used to always tell people when i was a kid i want to save the whales and and still to this day my parents are like are you out there saving the whales i'm like yes thank you (laughs) they they know what i'm doing but um but to me it was everything to sit to work with things that are pretty and it was just the right thing to do you know we are one of the many inhabitants on this on this planet so why not be good inhabited inhabitants work with the other folks and people and things that live on this planet.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome. I mean, I've noticed that you've done a lot of work in the sort of marine conservation ocean side of things. So I would definitely say that you're working towards saving the whales. So that's really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once I realized I couldn't do it, I couldn't be a marine biologist because I just could not do biology. I had to figure out another way.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, the overwhelming majority of people that work in conservation are male, and I just think that's really interesting. So, I was wondering if you've noticed gender inequities in the conservation profession. Sure.
1: So, when I first joined Conservation International, uh, my two direct supervisors were female: the manager of the program, the the director of the program. Um, but the head of the program was a male, and so. What I noticed was when it came to the supportive, the lower level tier uh, positions, there were you know many women involved. But as you got up higher in leadership, uh, and as you climbed the ladder, so to speak, the the number of women shrunk to you know and disappeared, right? And that's especially the case when I was traveling to other countries and and so you know I've definitely noticed inequity or a difference of of number of women, but primarily it's be at the leadership at the higher tier levels. I've also noticed that. Things have changed since, you know, I started with CI in 15 years ago, you know, give or take, <laughs> give or take some years. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I've seen those numbers increasing and I've seen, you know, women take steps in other organizations, go out and start their, other, start their own organizations, uh, make moves, you know, within, within a, a range of different types of organizations r- relating to conservation and environmental management. So that's really been quite nice to see. We have a long ways to go, but, um, but I like to see the numbers up and down the ladder, so to speak. (laughs) And I would also say just, it's not only just women, it's also the types of women, right? So the important thing for me is I'm not only a woman, but I'm a woman of color. And so as a woman of color, there are very few of us, um, in, in 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 leadership positions and then that's always something that i am very aware of as i'm frequently one of the few if not the only in the room
0: so i was wondering if you feel that there are any systemic barriers that may challenge women's rise to the top in conservation or mo- more so gaining those management ceo level positions
1: i think that there is some systemic barriers in that you know there's a kind of a fall back to a cultural appropriateness or, um, you know, well, the, I've heard and I've seen kind of, well, would, would the person be willing to travel if, and when she wants to have a child or a family, but also from a, from kind of a female standpoint, our own personal barriers, which has been, you know, systemically cultivated through over, over hundreds of years of questioning our ability and needing to have everything perfect before we move. And I'm, and I'm a product of that, you know, I've, I was put into positions and given opportunities, not because I said, oh yeah, I, you know, I can do this. But others said, Hey, Nicole, why don't you, why don't you go after this? And I said, well, you know, no. And then actually it was another woman who said, well, let me ask you, what do you think this position does? And it was the head of a program. And I said, well, it does this, this, and this. And she goes, okay, great. What do you do? And I paused and I said, I do that, don't I? She goes, yes, yes, you do. (laughs) And so um, you know, so it was, we t- I think it's something like women tend to think about when you look at a job description or you look at a position description, you know, we tend to think we need to have like 70 or 80% worth of, of those sets, so that it, you know, all of the things that are in that description, whereas men are something that run lines of, I can't remember what the specific, uh, percentage is, but it's a lot less than us. And so they're willing to put themselves forward, um, and are confident in that far more than we are. Um, and so it, it doesn't, but it doesn't help that, you know, we are also kind of questioned about, like I said, family, you know, um, whether she has leadership, you know, whether she's too shy, whether, you know, she's too empathetic, she doesn't have the the traditional male oriented, I should maybe say, uh, leadership skills that are valued at, at leadership levels, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that does. Going off of that when women are questioned more that may lead to feelings of imposter syndrome in the workplace. I was wondering if that is something that you have experienced or maybe thinking about like why women would experience that more than men just because of how often that they're questioned in their position.
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm totally, totally have felt imposter syndrome. You know, I, I spent, um, I, like I said, I, I, was had to be pushed into into asking for or putting my name forward for a director role Um, and even in this you know I I changed positions to focus on fundraising because I wanted to learn that skill set but I basically spent the first six or seven months like panicking about well, what am I doing am I doing this right what is what is you know what am I doing here clearly I'm missing something I know I'm smart but am I really as smart as I think I am so I'm trying to think of how ways to how to break out of imposter syndrome as I kind of go forward and, and have conversations with folks.
0: So in addition to that, have you personally experienced any sort of gender inequity during your career?
1: I have. Um, I would say that it's mainly when I've traveled abroad. So um, your listeners can't see what I look like, but um, I'm one. And even though I'm coming up on 40, I look like I'm two years old, which is gonna be great when I'm in my fifties. <laughs> um, but, and I'm also, um, I'm half African, I'm half black, half Puerto Rican. Um, and so when I have traveled abroad, I have been, of course, American. So when I travel abroad, I'm always constantly thinking about when, what of those aspects of who I am is, is cause, may cause issues. And a lot of times it is the fact that I am um, uh, a woman, you know, especially again, especially as I travel to these other cultures and they might have different expectations and different perceptions about the role of women and how they treat their own their own colleagues and their own staff, um, particularly in governments and things like that. Um, But again, as I said before, it's also not only am I a woman, but I'm a woman of color. And so, as you talk about going to some of these other countries that I've gone with to, especially developing countries and developing economies, there is an aspect of colonialism where there is a certain le- a level of deference to to Caucasian uh, to, to Caucasian and you know uh, Western kind of folks. So you know whether it's a white male or a white female, um, they tend to be ranked <laughs> higher than higher than folks like me who look like me, um, and so. It's something that you're always kind of aware of. You also want to be, um, but at the same time, you can't let it stop you from doing your work. So, how do you how do you work around that? How do you work around the the dismissiveness or or the kind of perception that someone may have of you? But yes, I've I've you know, and, and I imagine every woman <laughs> at some point in their in their career has has bumped up against it.
0: Yeah, and um, just to give. I guess a little bit of context, maybe if you could give our listeners an overview of some of the places that you have traveled to and maybe one place that you thought was moving more in an equitable direction than we currently have in the U.S.
1: Sure. So I've worked in a lot of places around the world, primarily in Asia Pacific, the island nations off of mainland Asia, whether it's all the way ranging from Japan all the way down to Singapore and all the way east to um to Solomon Islands and in parts of, of Melanesia, Samoa, places like that. Um, I've also worked in a few, few places in Africa, but primarily very briefly in Liberia and then in, in South America. Um, the Philippines has been the ones that I've noticed that a lot of women have been able to, to really make a difference and really make a, not a difference, but a um, an impact. Um, they have wonderful women, you know, and they have, um, in my experience, men that while might be in the ultimate kind of head of delegation or or in, in high leadership positions, respect the women that they worked with. Although I should say that one of my favorite women from the delegations that used to lead the delegation when I was working closely with Papua New Guinea, um, whenever she opened her mouth, it was she didn't open her mouth very often, but whenever she did everything she did made sense. Like it was, it was great. It was, you know, it was moving us forward. It was, you know, when she took leadership, it was, it was kind of like, let's do this. Um, but others, you know, other, other kind of, they still have to work within a system. Right. And so, you know, while she was able to do X, Y and Z and while Philippines was able to do X, Y and Z, there are still kind of weaknesses in other places that they're still trying to overcome. like I said, there are real ramifications in pushing too much and too far, too fast.
0: So I guess talking about these barriers a little bit and maybe the constraints that are placed on different females in the workplace, what do you think would be needed to break down these barriers to have more women joining and more women advancing through the fields and just being able to have, I guess, more say in their positions?
1: So, I, you know, I'm a big believer in mentorship. Um, and I'm a big believer in supporting, supporting others. And, and so I was very happy to, to jump on this call with you and, and have a conversation. I was recommended by a, a woman, <laughs> you know, um, yep. who has, who, who has been very supportive of me and, and, you know, volunteered me for things and gave me great thoughts and, and, and advice and guidance. And can will I hope to continue to do that in the future. <laughs> Um, but, you know, paying it forward, you know, looking at as you as you go up the ladder, as you kind of go from job to job or position to position, how can you bring along those, you know, after you open the door, open the doors after you. Um, but also. Uh, it also will ultimately take the realization from existing leaders of these organizations, of these companies, of these you know government agencies that things need to change. Right. And so you know we've seen that those are that, that is happening you know um, with me too with my, with other things you know with even with um with everything that's been happening uh, along you know uh, racial racial conversations and gender conversations and and um they all are connected right you know you're talking about People of color, not only just people of color, but women of color, right? Or just women in general, or gender fluidity, or things like that. They all, all impact each other, all influence each other, and are all connected. Uh, and so, while we as women can help ourselves and and, uh, and help those that come after us, and and even those that are at my same level, <laughs> you know, um, kind of call up and rant and rave and and you know kind of vent and then ask for ask for advice. Um, it is going to be uh, take the realization and the movement and the decision and the intention of, of existing leaders, be they male or female.
0: So if we were able to improve gender equity in conservation and get more women into all sorts of levels of positions, what benefits do you think we would see from this for the profession itself and just conservation in general?
1: Well, I think that you know you you're able if you were able to get more women involved, um, you would be able to to access groups that you have not been able to access before, you know. And and it, again, it's it's not just women, but it's women of color, it's women of of indigenous background, it's you know, it's those it's those women that are connected to the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. It's for it's women in in uh, with different religious backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds. You know, if the whole point is to is to conserve or to environment, you know, to sustainably manage natural resources. Then you need to deal with and, and engage all the different people that deal with and engage <laughs> with those different natural resources. Um, and women have a huge impact. You know, you, you talk about, for example, fisheries. Right? People think of like fishermen. But women deal with a lot of the coastal activities they deal with a lot of the processing they deal with a lot of maybe the 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 back end things of, of um, they are while the women are while the men are out might be farming and gardening and things like that. so they are impacting the environment in different ways. If you don't talk to them, you lose that opportunity to to really achieve the types of conservation that is necessary for really making um an impact on on making sure that our natural resources are there in the future.
0: Yeah, it's really important to have inclusivity in conservation, especially like not just getting everyone into the room, but making sure that everyone is allowed to like have a seat at the table and talk as well. Because it's one thing just to have people present and another thing to really have everyone listen to what they have to say and take it into consideration.
1: Exactly. That's a really important point. If the woman is in the room, but does not feel like a, she can speak up, period, right? She has the ability to talk. Or B, if and when she talks, her her voice is not heard, um or or it's heard but not but dismissed. Then there's really no point. Then the, you're then you're then you're sliding into tokenism and, you know, that's a waste of everybody's time.
0: And I know we touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the podcast but could we go back to talking about how you've seen conservation grow and become more inclusive from the beginning of your career to where you are now?
1: Sure. So, you know, when I first started, um, I started right out of undergrad. I graduated on Thursday and started as an intern um, that Monday. Um, I would. Recommend people if they can take a at least a week for vacation. Side, side note: <laughs> If I could do it again, I would take a week. Um, but I've, I've, if I remember correctly, at that point in time, most of the positions, leadership positions, were all male. Um, but you know, now we have a female president. We have multiple um, heads of of divisions that are female. Um, key senior leadership positions are female. An increasing number of, of the heads of our country programs who are female. That was not really a, a prevalent thing when I first started with CI, um, and they're just those numbers are, are growing. And so, you know, it's an it's an active kind of commitment that the organization took to diversify um, the the gender kind of makeup of of of, of the organization, and and. But that's, you know, that's also acknowledging that, they, that we know that we can do better and should be doing better and, and are doing better. Um, and there's, you know, there's a ways to go. And I've seen other, you know, other women, other colleagues that have left and they've gone, you know, to on to others and to start their own organizations and their CEOs or presidents of their own organizations. Um, and so and achieve, you know, leadership positions in those organizations. That's been really, really great to see.
0: Yeah, you said that Conservation International has definitely been working to diversify their workplace. Is there anything specific or any specific initiatives that you know that they've taken that can maybe be applied to other sorts of sectors or different um, programs or workplaces?
1: You know, it's really all—it's really been about intentionality, to be honest. You know, it's—it's it's not like an initiative; it's not a specific you know policy or anything like that, right? You need to be intentional in your decision making. Just like you chose to go out and you want to, and you want someone who has five to 10 years worth of experience and blah, blah, blah. You know, you want to build a team with a skill set of this, this and this. Well, you're one of those skill sets is your gender, <laughs> you know, because that brings with it a certain level of knowledge and experience and things like that. And I would say again, for also people of color and indigenous and, and LGBTQ and things like that. I would love to see that people become more comfortable with acknowledging that it's okay to want to diversify explicitly. Let's go out and hire a person of color, a female person of color, or, you know, or LGBTQ person. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that because they bring with them specific experiences and backgrounds. And, and it's not racist and it's not sexist and it's not misogynistic and it's not, you know, homophobic or transphobic. It's just, we want to build a team that represents the audience that we want to, that we want to work with. This whole idea of, well, there's, you know, there's, we want to, but there's not enough people qualified is a complete cop-out. All it takes is for you to invest some time and effort in trying to find it. And it just, again, it's, it's an intentional decision that needs to, that needs to be made. And so it's not always going to go smooth. It's, you know, I, I had that ability uh, sometime last year and it took, a, took a, a little extra time. I wanted a woman, um, I wanted to open it up to women and people of color. And, but it, it gave us a wildly different uh, set of options that were all fantastic in their different ways. And, and opened up this whole new set of networks that I can then share with my other colleagues and you know give them options too
0: i think that's a pretty good way to start wrapping up this conversation but before we go is there anything else that you would like to add to this discussion maybe there's something like sitting on the tip of your tongue or a point that you'd like to bring up that we haven't discussed yet any sort of closing remarks
1: um i would say i would say equally important to saying yes to things is to say is to know uh your boundaries right and do not let anyone rush you as women we tend to let people rush us you know let let you want to we want to please folks a lot of times you want to you know be a team player and collaborative take a moment for yourself take a pause you know take a moment because you are you are now entering into the workforce and this has real ramifications for your, your quality of life your financial output your family housing, you know, all this stuff. And so, you know, think about what you want to do. Think about what you're willing to, your priorities and what you're willing to, um, to sacrifice because there's nothing wrong with a decision. Just know that when you make one decision, that's because you're prioritizing X, Y, and Z versus one, two, and three. And then of course, be know that those priorities can and probably will change. And there's nothing wrong with that.
0: And just one final question for you to leave everything off on a good uplifting note. What is one thing that you are hopeful for or looking forward to either in the field of conservation or maybe just something that you're excited for in the future?
1: I love that there are, that we're having this conversation. I love that, you know, that people are reaching out, that there are um, many types of conversations and, and um questions how to do this how do we make this happen you know not a it should happen but how do we make it happen how do we take the steps you know i am i'm excited to be at the idea of doing what i can to help you know you and and folks younger than you and the next generations as they move up and and that's really what like makes me smile when it comes to you know what my personal impact in this sector can be you know we're we're at a place right now where it's going beyond just kind of talking about the need, but the actual next steps. My ability to to help, to influence, to impact, to guide, to advise all, all those lovely words, you know, people like yourself, people like your listeners, um, you know, ladies and uh, all around the world is, is what's really exciting. Uh, you know, I, I love conservation. I love environmental management and sustainable management, but I also believe that having strong women (laughs) Um, uh, coming up and, and, you know, and taking over in the future is going to be key to actually any success that we hope to have in conservation and and environmental management.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. I thought it was really eye opening and I hope that our listeners will really enjoy what you have to say. We would like to thank Planet Women and our guests. Jill Tiefenthaler, Nicole Esters, and Christine Wilkinson for making this season possible. And a special thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in.
1: This episode of the Conservation Stories podcast is produced by Anne Turner and Dorothy Ebis for the William & Mary Institute for Integrative Conservation. To learn more about the IIC, this podcast, or Conservation at William & Mary, please visit our website at wm.edu conservation or email us at iic at wm.edu. We look forward to hearing from you soon.